Chapter 12 The Apprentice Wizard Most magical organizations of the time were cults of personality built around one particular wizard who attracted sufficient followers. If one of those followers then attracted his own students, his group, those followers, would in turn split off from the main body and form their own magical organization. Usually, such organizations fell apart with the death of their founding charismatic masters. In the case of the magician's conclave, the student usurped the master's position, yet its eventual destruction was not prevented, only deferred. Interestingly, one of the mages present at the demise of the conclave was an individual named Joda, Arkal, Argivian scholar. The first few weeks were filled with small incidents and accents that made up life. Joda completed scripting several histories of the various city-states of the eastern coast, a book of epic poems, and several scrolls that were no more than the complex tax records of a long-dead wizard in Zegon. There was an enchanting collection of folk tales and legends, which, at the outset, the author admitted, were nothing more than the creations of his own mind. He checked with Netta on these, and she told him curtly that if they were on the pile, they had value and should be read into the record. There were three histories on the Brothers' War itself, each disagreeing with others on the particulars. One based itself on one of the self-created fictions that Joda had just transcribed and treated that work as the ultimate truth, even where it was countered blatantly by obvious facts in other volumes. Netta seemed generally approving of his work, and she checked up on him only once a day now. The huge stack of books did not grow any smaller, though Joda put aside those he had recorded in one pile and those he could not read in another. If he could not read a book, it was usually because the text was written in some language or code that he himself did not recognize or was so badly written or damaged that he could not make out any of the words properly. As he read aloud, Joda fought the temptation to merely speak the words without letting them sink in. The epic poem stayed with him for a number of days thereafter, and he kept track of the varying versions of the Brothers' War. There were several mentions of a text called the Antiquities War, but there was no copy of this text either in the library or in the pile of books that needed to be transferred to the neat printing of the recording scarab. Joda assumed that it had been lost in the intervening years. There was one book that described spells. It was supposedly written by a scholar talking to a goblin shaman, and the wording and the phraseology was crude at best. Yet Joda understood the bulk of it, and after reading it, put it aside to check again later. It was about this time that he had started to share his lunches on the battlement facing the mountain range. He would spend hours in the period after dinner, before dusk, just watching them, committing them to memory. It felt right, and in its own way, was a testament and memorial to Vasca, who never got to teach Joda any proper red spells, since Joda did not know the mountains as well as his teacher had. One evening, in the privacy of his small room, Joda cleared his mind and thought of the mountains. The farmlands of his home were grounded into his bones and came to him easily, but it was harder to pull the mountains to him, to be among them to be one of them, to pull their power in. Yet after several days of meditation, he did so and called up enough of the red energy to light a single taper. The red mana had its own feel and taste and texture, separate and distinct from the white. It felt warmer and tasted like a campfire burning pine branches to Joda. It also felt wilder, more uncontrollable, ready to shift off in another direction if not watched properly. After several days, he was able to produce a large enough flame to light several candles from a distance. He could not sleep that night, but stayed awake, watching the candles burn and finally gutter. 
he thought of hunching over a cold fire pit, struggling to master the concepts that now seemed so easy, so obvious. He felt a hole in the pit of his stomach. If only Bosco was there to see his accomplishment. The library was a relatively quiet place. About four times a day, a torque-wearing servant would arrive with a message requesting a particular book. Netta would then pull the book off the shelf or send the servant back with a note that the book did not exist. He seemed to know by memory what was on the shelves. On a rare occasion, a mage himself or herself would come down to the library for a book, then either inform Netta of its departure or sit down at one of the low tables and read. Joda's low murmuring voice beneath the great windows did not seem to bother them. Netta, for her part, stayed behind her desk, often going through her own arcane text. She would sometimes look through the unreadable pile and select a volume that she recognized, and she would bring it back to her desk for personal transcribing. Most of the rest of the time, she read or wrote or tended to her plants. Once, Joda looked up to see her murmuring softly to one of her plants, a great leafy monstrosity, with a bald butt that as of yet refused to flower. Joda watched as Netta spoke to it. A thin yellowish mist bubbled up from the heart of the bud, sending up a streamer of smoke from the flower. As Joda watched, the smoke coalesced into a face, not human, but rather thin and elven. The face dissipated, and Netta smiled. Then she noticed that Joda was watching her, and rewarded the student with a withering glare. Joda dived back into the book he was transcribing, and did not look up again the rest of that morning. The next day, the plant with a tightly held bud was no longer among Netta's battlement of plants. That evening, Joda practiced his candle lighting and, looking at the flickering lights, thought about magic. Bosca had always acted like magic was a natural talent. One either had it or didn't. Seema, on the other hand, acted if magic was a school subject, to be bookishly studied and mastered. Borrow the artificer, seemed to believe it was some sort of machine that could be examined and explained by a set number of physical laws. Shannon and some of the others here acted as if magic was just a job you did when you weren't eating or a power for jokes and entertainment. Netta seemed to use it to tend to her plants. And Joda? Joda blinked. He wasn't quite sure what magic was or what he wanted to use it for. He had spent too much of his time hiding or running or fighting to figure such things out. He thought of what he told Borrow that first night. He was tired of being hungry, hunted, and cold, and he wanted magic to cure that. He was no longer hunted, no longer hungry, no longer cold. He wondered what the purpose of magic was now. Two days later, the sun came out. The clouds had been lightened over the past several days, and there was talk around the dinner table that there might even be some true sunbreaks in the near future. The Conclave House was high in the northern latitudes, so winter days were brief and miserable, while the current summer days lasted longer than most human activity. The clouds had been omnipresent regardless of season, and they brought cold rains and snow at higher elevations. The idea that sunlight might finally break through was a welcome change. When it did, it took everyone by surprise. Joda was at his table in the afternoon, poring over a text on the comparative military tactics of the various city-states when a small blight blotch appeared on the book he was reading. He blinked and stopped, the scarab pausing at the exact same moment. He tried to wave the bright blotch away, but it did not move. Indeed, when he moved the book, the blotch stayed where it was. Falling to the table when he pushed the book aside, and residing on the back of his hand when he tried to grasp it. He looked at the rest of the table, and it was covered with similar bright blotches. 
Many of these were multi-hued, small rainbows warped in curved patterns against the warm finish of the table. Only then did Jota look up and look outside. The great window was alive with light. The sun was out for the first time since he had arrived at the citadel and had shone with the fury to make up for lost time. The various prisms and panes in the great glass window caught the sunlight and threw it against all the surfaces around. Where it hit, it hit with such impact that the light itself broke up into colors. Blues and reds and greens and colors in between. Beyond the window was the world. Not the gray world that Joda had suffered through for so long, but a brilliant world, freshly washed by the continual rains and now intensely limed by the long absent sun. The forests at the base of the mountain were riots of green. There were more shades than Joda thought possible, ranging from dark sullen conifer jade to an explosion of bright green that threw back at the sunlight with such an intensity that it hurt the eye. The forest spilled down the hills, vibrant and alive, and even the plains seemed brighter. The large grassy waste caught the wind and rippled like an ocean. In the distance, Jodo caught sight of the thin wisp of smoke rising from the plains. There were towns out there, Barl had stated weeks earlier, yet it was the first time Joda had any clue that they were present. It is a beautiful view, said a rich, fluid voice behind him. Joda jumped at the sound and wheeled. Lord High Mage Marisol had appeared behind him as if he suddenly manifested out of nothing or removed a cloak of invisibility. Joda assured himself that the Lord High Mage merely moved when others were not watching, but the pit of his stomach told otherwise. Marisol seemed to enjoy surprising people, and doubtless he used his magics to aid in that surprise. For his part, the leader of the magician's conclave did not deign to notice Joda's reaction to his voice. Instead, he said, It's such a pity that the sun comes so rarely. During the winter months, it's only marginally clear, but we're at such high altitude that the days are short and snow usually keeps the mages indoor. Joda nodded, no longer thinking about the sunlight outside. He looked past Marisol to see if Netta had noticed the Lord High Mage's arrival, but her battlement of plants, usually manned throughout the day by her stony, silent presence, was now empty. The sun passed back behind its veil of clouds, and the multi-hued blotches disappeared from the table's surface. Marisol took a deep breath, closed his eyes, and exhaled. When he opened his eyes again, he was looking directly at Joda. So, said Marisol, I trust your studies are going well? I'm getting a lot of books recorded, said Joda, motioning at the large, dun pile. Of course, he motioned to the larger pile of unread tomes. There is a lot more to do. So I see, said Marisol, settling down in the chair opposite Joda. Joda took this as a sign that he should sit as well. But that's not what I meant, is it? Joda blinked. I'm sorry? Apology accepted, said the Lord High Mage with a grin, as if smiling at some private joke. I mean, these. He made an expansive motion at the collected books. Everyone has tasks. Things that must be done. I have mine. You have yours. I was interested as to how your studies are going. The Lord High Mage was very comfortable sitting across from him, as if he regularly had this type of conversation, making small talk with lesser mages. That made Joda all the more uneasy. Don't tell me that you haven't had the chance to do any real magicking on your own, said Marisol, his dark eyebrows arching in an apparent concern. They haven't been keeping you so busy with tasks that you haven't had a chance to discover anything 
or to catch a spell or two, or get to know the land around here? Joda suddenly was afraid that his lack of spell research would be taken as an indictment of Netta's overseeing of his work. No, sir. I found a book on red mana in the collection and was working with it to develop in that area. He stammered for a moment, then added, Sort of on my own. Excellent, said Marisol, pounding the tabletop with the fleshy part of his hand. And have you come up with anything? Well, I've been studying the mountains, said Joda, carefully. And I know, well, I can make a flame. It sounded so weak, so pathetic. This was the master of the conclave, the most powerful mage in the citadel. And Joda was telling him about how he worked the simplest of red spells. Marshall stroked his bare chin and said, And you did this on your own? Yes, sir, said Joda. No one told you to study red magic or gave you the book or to study the mountains until you felt like they were your own? No, sir, said Joda. The sunbeam of Marisol's face reappeared, and Joda allowed himself to relax. Good. Very good indeed. Have you noticed something about this place, friend Joda? I've noticed many things, sir, said Joda carefully. Which thing do you mean? We have no teachers here, said the Lord High Mage. No mentors. No masters. No superiors. We strive to be a society of equals. All gathered together for one purpose. Magic. He said the word as if he were summoning the energy to him. Just in case you overthink otherwise, he said. You're doing exactly the right thing. You're completing your task while you work on your studies. And your studies are exactly what you yourself choose them to be. Don't let yourself be limited. He looked at Joda for a long moment, then added, You normally use white, don't you? Joda nodded and said, Most of the spells I know are white. Yes. Marisol nodded. Healing, light, building, social skills, these are all white hallmarks. The citadel of white magic is carved of snow granite and smells of fresh mown hay. At least, that's the way it's always felt to me. But you're studying red now. Why not green, since the forest almost run up to the window outside? Joda felt embarrassed, but managed. My teacher, I mean, my former teacher was a red mage. Yes, old Fasca, said Marisol, and his face clouding slightly. You know him? said Joda, surprised. Knew of him, said the Lord High Mage, keeping the same tone as if he was walking down a path of memory. I am sorry for you, and I share your loss. I have lost enough colleagues to the church and his bloody inquisition over the years. He shook his head, then added, He'd be proud to know you were investigating his path as well as yours. Yes, sir, said Joda. Thank you, sir. And let's do without the sir nonsense, said Marisol. Society of equals, friend Joda. Yes, I mean, yes, friend Marisol, struggled Joda. I know it feels odd, said Marisol, and the smile was back again. Even Barl, whom I've known forever, prefers the Lord High Mage. And if you need to call me that in public, use that title. But when it's just you and me, call me friend. Joda nodded, then said, Yes, friend Marisol. He was rewarded with a radiant smile. Good, good, said the Lord High Mage, leaning back on his chair. And I hope you won't ignore the other colors. 
press on into the rest of the spectrum. The first mages connected particular types of spells with particular colors, particular effects, black with darkness, red with fire, and so on. It just seems natural, but remember that colors themselves are a limit, and one always proves oneself when other presses those limits and exceeds them. Yes, friend Marisol, said Joda, wondering if he dared press his newfound friend with a question. His face must have betrayed him, because Marisol said, You wish to ask something? Joda nodded and said, Friend Marisol, what color are you? Marisol smiled back again and held up his hand. It's back to Joda. He blinked. A jet of flame appeared at the tip of each finger and the thumb. White at the pinky, then red, green, blue, and finally an ebon-hued flame from the thumb. Most people believe that magic is broken down into five colors, correct? Quizzed Marisol. Each of those colors is tied to a particular type of memory of the land. Joda agreed, thinking of his decision with Barl on the parapet that first day, before he was officially welcomed into the conclave. Marisol still held his flaming hand in front of him. But what most people don't know is that there are certain basic temperaments that are tied to the colors themselves, and that, in many ways, determines the type of mage one becomes. The Lord High Mage motioned with a non-flaming hand, pointing at his pinky. White tends to be healers, fixers, and social individuals. Those who want everyone to agree in an agreement. Those who like order. Neat people are attracted to white mana. Its simplicity is appealing to them. Marisol nodded to the younger man. No offense for your own casting. Jonah thought for a moment, then said, None taken. Marisol curled down the pinky, and the flame extinguished itself. Red is almost the opposite. Volatile, destructive, disorganized, and chaotic. Red mages tend to have explosive tempers and also sharp tongues. They are not the planners, but impulsive. That's one reason I was surprised by your studies and impressed by them. Joda thought for a moment. Bosco was never violent, except to goblins and the church, of course. But impulsive and disorganized? Yes, that applied to him. He nodded in agreement. Marisol curled down another finger. Green is akin to white, said the Lord High Mage. It believes in life, but it takes a much more long-term approach. Careful planners are green mages. They do well with animals and plants and other living things. They are patient, but they are also judgmental. He wrinkled his nose when he said this. That seemed a fair description of Netta, thought Joda. Blue, said Marisol, and his face clouded just a bit. They are controllers. Illusion, the air, the sea, all changeable. Mercurial elements, these are Blue's domain. Blue is used to doing things its way and will brook no argument. Argue with a Blue Mage and you'll find the very basics of your argument slipping away like a cliff being eroded. There are very few pure Blue Mages in the Conclave, and for good reason. Joda thought of Sima and suppressed a shudder. Mirsol curled the last finger down and left his black burning thumb. And lastly, black which if you ask the church is the color of magic. Misunderstood black is, for it examines those parts that most of us would rather not think about. Fear, death, and madness. Only facing them do we gain strength. Black mages tend to be loners, and more secretive than the others, for fear of being chastised. They deal with dead things. But then, not so much as healers, but as hunters. Black mages carry that stigma with them. 
Joda thought about Marisol's words, but realized the mage had not answered his question. But which color are you? He asked again. The Lord High Mage opened his hands, and both of them were bathed in a torrent of multi-hued light that dimmed even the lightning sky outside. It seemed to permeate the entire library and reach into every page of every book. I am the rainbow, said Marisol, with a hearty laugh and a secretive grin, posing like an actor on stage in those last seconds of an act when the lights are banked and the curtain drops. Joda blinked back the colors, wondered if he would be rude or even possible to try and disenchant a more experienced mage's work. And you can be the rainbow too, said Marisol. Remember that the colors are not goals. They are a framework by which one can attain one's goals. Marisol's voice dropped slightly, and he said in a knowing voice, So many of the others have forgotten it. They think that by becoming a black wizard, one can do everything any other wizard can do, just in a different way. Black is merely one set of tools, and a true master knows all of them. I see, said Joda. I never thought of it that way. Oh, but you should, said Marisol. Always try to think in new ways. Now, I know for a fact that you're ahead of Netta's plans for transcribing these books. I recommend you spend a lot more time studying the mountains, and the forest, and the box, and even the islands. Broaden your horizons, and get out of the library more. You'll be a better person, and a better wizard for it. Then, Marisol was up and gone from the table, leaving Joda blinking at the lights and mentally churning through everything the older mage had said. Shortly after Marisol disappeared, the sky darkened and a chill drizzle laced with hail started to pelt the great window. Netta reappeared and sat at her desk, making no comment on the Lord High Mage's appearance or her own disappearance. Joda turned himself back to the volume he was reading, but found that he was distracted. The conversation, both by what the Lord High Mage had said and by the fact that he just dropped in to say it. It made no sense to Joda that the most powerful wizard in the conclave stopped by the library for an impromptu lesson on colors. The entire encounter made Joda feel uneasy, as if he was a child and Marisol some clumsy, overbearing adult, trying to be friendly. Perhaps, thought Joda, that was exactly what it was. Shannon said that Marisol and Barl were continually working on things that no one else had knowledge of. Perhaps one of those things involved the library. Joda also noted that the page he had been recording was ruined now as a result of their conversation. He had neglected to turn the scarab off and to continue to write as Marisol spoke, stopping at the bottom of the page, its eyes flashing silently. Joda did notice that when Marisol spoke, his words were written in red ink, as opposed to the neat black block letters that Joda had previously seen. Perhaps Marisol was the inventor of the scarabs, thought Joda, and they recognized his voice but instead of consigning the old parchment to the foolscap bin, he folded it and placed it inside his leather vest. Perhaps a later review would reveal something that he had missed in their discussion. Joda found he still could not concentrate, and after a few false starts and stops, surrendered for the day. He put his materials away and told friend Netta that he would be stopping early. She nodded at him, but it was a very wary nod. There was something in Netta's manner that was not there before, as if suddenly the planets had moved into new orbits as a result of the public meeting with the Lord High Mage. He went to the parapet overlooking the mountains, but found his mind too cluttered to concentrate on anything, let alone study the land. Besides, the chill rain was turning heavier, and he could hear the shouts below of those who had been lured outside by the brief sunshine, only to be cruelly reminded of the true nature of the weather 
after they had walked far from the citadel. He watched the rain for a long while, trying to let it wash his mind clear, but he found that it did not. Dinner that evening was curious as well. Marisol and Bar were at the head of the table, at the apex of the horseshoe. As was normal when they were in attendance, there were no hijinks or horseplay, no food fights or sudden aberrations, but there was something else. There was laughter, but it was nervous laughter. There was conviviality, but it sounded tinny to Joda's ears, forced and artificial. Several people came up to Marisol's chair during the meal, but they seemed stiff and formal, with none of the society of equals that Marisol spoke of. There was fear. That was it, Joda decided. There was fear in the air. Joda looked at Marisol, but this time, the Lord High Mage did not look up or even recognize Joda's presence. Instead, his head was tilted slightly down, and he was speaking with Barl. The chief artificer was writing quickly on a tablet as Marisol spoke. Ingles, the mage in red, whom Joda had met the first day, stood on the opposite side of the chair, shifting nervously until Marisol deigned to notice him. Another consultation, short and to the point. Ingles was dismissed and returned to his place at the table. Marisol rose, bowed to the assembled group, and wafted out of the room, borrow and tow. Only then did the group seem to relax completely, and something that resembled life flowed back into the conversations. They were afraid, decided Joda. Afraid of Marisol, or Barl, or both of them. But Barl had been kind to him the first few days, if abrupt, while Marisol seemed to have gone out of his way today to be chatty, friendly, and informative, which made Joda even more suspicious. He needed to find out more about the masters of the magician's conclave, but could not figure out who to ask. Then, his eyes fell on the sloppy, overweight figure of Shannon, flirting unsuccessfully with Drusilla, while a tort waiter filled his glass again with rum. The waiter moved off, and Shannon paused in mid-witticism to instruct the man to leave the bottle. Despite himself, Joda smiled, and as the rest of the gathering broke up, made a beeline to Shannon's side. 